Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted. Jane! You'll have to do two today, Jane. What's <laughs> have to be, <laughs> Paul, Paul's flunking out. Uh-huh. You'll have to have two moments of the week to keep the show going. Um, uh, tell, us, tell us one of them. Well, um, I was going to have a really happy one um, because I found out that Starbucks workers in the US, I think in Buffalo, um, have managed to unionise despite great pressure from above not to do so. They're the first ever Starbucks branch to unionise, which is fantastic. But um, then on a less happy note, I did actually want to be a little bit greedy and bring in a second moment of the week because then I found out today that workers um, for a very, very large distribution company um, and another company that uh, makes luxury candles. Apparently, when the tornadoes happened um, in America, the warnings were going off and workers were asking to be allowed to go home to their families and to safety and they were told they'd lose their jobs so they had to stay at work and the candle factory collapsed and people have died. Workers at the... um, the large distribution company that we're all well aware of in this country died as well. And I think, I mean, it's so important to have the unions, isn't it, to fight for the workers' rights for safety at work. So it put a real shadow on it. But, it, you know, it's really good Starbucks have managed to do that, the, well, those Starbucks workers. I think, do you think that, um, I mean, sort of looking back on history, um, the working class effort has gone sort of one time into unionization, another time into political um, activism. And it sort of rocks backwards and forwards between the two, depending on the state of the economy very often. And, And do you feel that it has never been more important that uh, workers unionize and get themselves organized in the workplace. In fact, much more than on the political side of things where sort of um, the, the activity and the energy seems to be receding. Absolutely, yeah, it's so important in this gig economy world where there are so many workers now in insecure positions. I know that's something we're going to talk about in more detail later, but you you know, if we wait for a political party to make it all right in any country, it's not going to happen fast enough. People are actually dying from health and safety incidents, you know, people are living in poverty. We can't wait. It needs to happen now. Great. Thank you. Thank you for your two. Um, I'm Paul, fixed now, say, by the way. Yeah, are, you, are you with us now? Yeah, I'm fixed. Okay, quickly, have you? What was your moment of the week? Again? Okay, my moment. My moment of the week was the uh, with the vote no, no, today. I, I know what he's going to be, people. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's a goodie. Sorry, Paul. So it's the it's the votes today in the Houses of Parliament, and to, and um, I'm going to comment a little bit on the tactics of the Labour Party, which are a bit weird. It was something Jeremy Corbyn was heavily criticised for, even when he won and defeated the government. He was criticised tactically. Uh, today, you had a hundred Tory. Um, rebels voting against the vaccine passports um the idea of the vaccine passport is that you've got to either show that you've been double vaccinated or um or that you've had a lateral flow test but actually the, if you don't have an nhs number you can't have one of these so it, it excludes quite a few vulnerable people from from doing 
quite a lot of things, uh, something that hasn't been thought of. And also, you know, do we really want to give this kind of uh, quite right-wing authoritarian government more authority? It's a really interesting question. I personally would have voted against the idea of having to show a pass. I think that we, I don't think it's a good way to go. Um, but the Labour Party voted to um, support the government, which is really interesting. And, and the Labour Party showed more unanimous support. Like, sorry, a, a, a greater percentage of support, a greater percentage of their MPs supported the government than the Tory MPs. And it's one of those things like, the, the the other thing would be even if you agreed with it would you not want some concessions would you not want them to reinstate furlough would you not want them to put the 20 pound universal credit uplift in there as well is this sensible leadership where you where you're just governing and just saying yes yes we'll support the government we'll bail you out when the government could have been in real real trouble here and this could have been the thing that toppled um boris johnson so like you know tactically it was a bad idea but, you know, I've got it, a thing on this, Paul, where um, basically Starmer had, had thought about that, but the, the leadership had rejected it because they thought it would draw hostility. They would be seen to be sort of a bit uh, sort of manipulative if they offered support in terms for concessions and uh, for changes and particularly um, toughening up their changes. Um, uh, so, I mean, you're saying that was a mistake to not do that. It's a huge mistake um, from whichever angle you look at it, as, as far as I'm concerned. There's a there's a school of thought within the Labour Party that says that, um, that uh, oppositions win when they oppose the government 78... Uh, sorry, when they support the government 78% of the time. So they've got this strategy where they say, actually, if we support them quite a lot, that means we'll get in next time. So that's a manipulative thing to do. It's a really, really weird... It's a really weird tactic... Um, it's just funny because you would have seen like if if this mistake had been made under Jeremy Corbyn, the centrist press would have been all over this. He would have been a disaster. He would have been a failure. He would have failed to have taken advantage of the situation. He would have been tactically inept. He would have been like no kind of leader. But then when he did do this, when he did defeat the government, they were saying you're just opposing for opposing's sake. Um I don't, again, we're back to the what's the point in power with without principles or what's the point in principles without power and we would always go for the first one there. What's the point in power without principles? But um, that doesn't seem to be the direction of the party at the moment. God bless you, Paul. Thank you so much for that moment of the week um, and in insightful comment about the Labour Party. Stuart, right, moment of the week. Uh, you know, as everybody knows, I'm a political small fry, so it's it's going to be a town council-based one. Uh, today, I would have been sat in a couple of committee meetings. They were cancelled because of the coronavirus uh, restrictions uh, and advice that had come forward to the council. And once again, we found that we had zero capacity to do anything online because the government never reinstated our capacity to conduct meetings via Zoom which you think would have been standard practice at this point. There was no plan B for us. We had nowhere to go. And we'll once again be waiting on the, the Tory government to give us the, the very simple mechanisms to allow us to conduct business once again. I mean, it, this is seems typical, doesn't it, that they're sort of asking people to um, voluntarily uh, lock down um, but as Paul has pointed out, they're not providing any of the mechanisms which allow people to do so. 
It's disappointing because we had it and then they took it away from us. And I have there's no sense in taking away something that only benefited people, that only made things easier in a difficult situation. It actually it made things so much harder when you've got to be flexible with the kind of lockdown situation we're going to be having. That, that flexibility would mean so much, save so much money and protect so many people in local government by being there. I mean, Great Aikley Town Council, which uh, for people listening in <laughs> from the Philippines and places like that, the, um, it's a little town council next door to Chilton where Stuart comes from. But I mean, they had actually hybrid meetings where you could actually go into the um, uh, offices and, and, and take part, or you could join in from home. And it struck us at the time that this was not only a model for the lockdown, but actually it would allow a whole load of people to participate in council meetings, uh, young mothers, people who had caring responsibilities, um, people who had um, sort of a, a job where, where they actually couldn't get at that time to um, the meetings could perhaps sign on online. And it struck us as a great way forward. I, I have no idea why they decided that they couldn't, um, couldn't continue with um, online meetings if they wish. So, I mean, has anybody got any idea of the thinking behind stopping us doing it? All, all I could suggest is that Westminster thinks working from home is lazy. I think they're worried about like people who can't access the meetings at the moment, like say, um, like say people with childcare commitments and things like that. They they want it to be a difficult thing to get into. They've had to struggle through these things. They think other people should also have to struggle through these things, so they won't make it any easier. So these things that would have made it better for disabled people, for people who um, have to work, and maybe they are people who work shifts, or all these different people who they really don't want to be fraternising with. I think that's what it's for. I mean, I think there's uh, very much a case of um, the political establishment seems to be closing in and getting much more talk about the need to work together. And so, you know, party doesn't matter. We all get together and, and cooperate with each other and keep it in the house. And and uh, and, and sort of it's not as um, populist as it was, certainly under Jeremy Corbyn. Um, we've seen um, an exclusion of um, ordinary people and ordinary people's ideas. Maybe that's maybe that's it. Um, thank you, people. Fabulous moments of the week. I did want somebody to bring up the Stephen Port failures. Um, I don't know whether anybody wants to comment um, on the on the chat stream, but I mean, the failure of the Met to stop those young men being killed and it brings up all this eye and we won't have a chance to, to discuss it because there's not an, an, nothing now until the new year um, and is the Met uh, institutionally homophobic as well as institutionally racist and, and is there any continued role for Cressida Dick? It would have been so lovely to talk about that today. I suppose that's my nom to the week. Um, right, Paul, let's move on. Now it's time for the Big story. And the big story today um, you have chosen is Julian Assange, which is a really kind of um, 
strange choice and 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 thank you for choosing something that just wasn't the big story of the of, of the week um we were complaining about that as a team last week and so jane i think some of our listeners won't have a clue what the whole thing is about. Can you just sort of explain the whole thing to us from the very beginning and, and treat us as, <laughs> treat me like, like the ignoramus I am? Um, so to go back to what I'd see as the very beginning would be when um, Julian Sons, when he was working with WikiLeaks, um, got hold of and released to the public um, information and evidence of terrible human rights abuses committed by the US government. Um, aided by other um, governments around the world um, that led to um, that led to them seeking to arrest Julian Assange and he obviously spent lots of years in um, seeking sanctuary in the Ecuadorian embassy in London um, but for the last three years now I think he's been in Belmarsh high security prison um, and the US are trying to extradite him. Um, and when he, if he's taken to America, he will uh, potentially face 175 years sentence in a high security prison. And um, the the courts in this country earlier on this year had um, heard the case um, and had judged that there was a serious risk to Julian's life if he is extradited to the US, that he would be very likely to commit suicide, that his health has already been severely impacted by what's happened over the last, um, I don't know how many years now. It came back to court, came to, back to the High Court last week and um, the High Court judged that although they did accept the conclusions of the lower court, which did include all the medical evidence and um, the assumption that um, measures that might be imposed on him in America could well lead to his death or suicide, um, they've, they've decided that he can be extradited um, to America. And um, I've, I'm not very coherent talking about it actually, because when I found out I was shaky, I was so angry and upset because this is a terrible injustice for this man. He's exposed human rights abuses. He's being punished for it to shut him up and to make sure that no one else has the audacity to do that again. But very frightening for all of us because the implications, what's already been done to him is terrifying. But if he is taken to America and it just terrifies me at what has happened to our, you know, what's supposed to be our democracy and freedom of speech. It's an awful situation for us all. We should all be very frightened and very angry and we should all be shouting from the rooftops that they cannot take him to America and that he should not be in prison. He should be freed. I'm going to ask you some, um, uh, what might be regarded as hostile questions here, but and, and just see what you think about these. I mean, the first one is, is that, um, what about all those rape charges? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, he wasn't proved innocent of those charges. They, they just basically, the, the, the Swedish government just ran out of puff and eventually just dropped them, much to the anger of the, the main protagonist, uh, so the main, the main accuser. I mean, so the, is there not a sense in which he's been fleeing justice? Um, not um, a victim of injustice? No, I don't feel there is. Um, I mean, if those charges were open, then that would be a different question as to whether he should be extradited to Sweden 
if that would be appropriate to be tried or whether he should be tried for those charges. But those charges don't stand. And I would say there, there must be a good reason why those charges don't, don't stand anymore. And I mean, you can't just assume someone's guilty of one crime that they've not been tried for and say, because of that, you're, you know, treat them unfairly over something else. It needs to be a fair trial. And, and not, I, 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 has he actually been charged? Um, he has, I, 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 at one point he was complaining that it was seven years and he hadn't been charged. I don't think he has been charged with anything. He'll face charges if he is extradited. Is my understanding, but I don't know if anyone else has a better legal understanding than that here. And I mean, my, my second hostile question, Jane, would be sort of if I sort of I, I, um, I stand for something, let's I, I don't know, women's rights. And I go and I chuck a brick through some government window um, and, and uh, sort of. I've stood up for what was right. I've I've been the whistleblower on 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 it, and uh, but I expect then to be punished for criminal damage, and, and sort of is there not? A, and I've asked this before about whistleblowers and, and people like Julian Assange. Is there not a sense that when they did it, they should have been prepared for the fact that there would be a response on this? And that the cost to them of doing right would be that the establishment would then charge them with whatever they could charge them with. Um, is is again is is the sense and, and I, the 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 prosecution argued successfully as it was was that to let Julian Assange just walk free in a way was rewarding someone for fleeing justice. What, what, what would your response be to, to, to that? I'd want to know what justice it is that he is fleeing, because I'd say he's fleeing persecution. I'd say that if I brutally murdered a group of people just for the fun of it, and you saw me do it, and you spoke up about it, if I had a lot of influence or money, that shouldn't mean that you should be fearful to speak up and think, oh no, she's very important. I better not say anything. It's okay that she did that. And if we impose that kind of logic going through history of the atrocities that have happened through the years to turn a blind eye to evil acts of murder and torture because the people who've done it are powerful, it doesn't bear thinking about where we'd be now. I've just got one last question and then I'm going to let you let, let you go. Thank you very much for your, your such cogent answers and your great knowledge on this. Um, but my, my, my third question is this, that um, uh, Julian Assange has done nothing to us at all. Um, Sweden have pestered us to try and extradite him and we've decided that we're not going to do it. The USA... Um, have pestered us to extradite him. And until very, very recently, just this last month, um, we've decided that um, uh, we, we, um, we're, not going, we, we, we're not going to do that. Um, and yet he's in Belmarsh prison. Um, and sort of, is the United Kingdom guilty of, um, what do you call it when you um, cooperate with the enemy? Um, sort of with the establishment to actually deny this man his human rights? Should he not have um, been put out on bail? Are we conniving? Co uh, collusion. 
Colluding, there's the word, thank you. God bless you, Paul. With um, the establishment um, and with the people who did those evil things that he shone a light on to actually imprison him um, in our own country, totally injustice, should he not have been out on bail, at least? Absolutely. I mean, are, are, we, are we culpable, Jay? We're absolutely culpable, and I won't go on too long, but this, this man hasn't just been sitting in a prison cell like you might imagine. This man's been in solitary confinement. He's not even been allowed access to his legal team on a lot of occasions. He's not been allowed access to any sort of computer or notebooks or anything so that he can prepare his legal case. He's not had access to people who've wanted to see him, um, prominent politicians. He's not had access to his family and friends. Very, very restricted and it's terrible what we've done to him. So um, uh, I, I, I agree, actually, Jane. <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> but the, um, I mean, what can we do now, Jane? What do you want people who are listening into this to do? So they're going to Stella Morris, his partner and his legal team are going to appeal the decision. And I, I think if people write to MPs, um, try to get letters in the newspaper, make a fuss on social media, as much noise as possible so that they know they can't just sweep this under the carpet and whisk him away to America. Let them know that we care. God bless you, Jane. Um, sort of, uh, Paul, you wanted uh, Jane to lead on that uh, question, uh, sort of because she said that she was so good on it. And uh, sort of, have you anything to add? Is what I would say about this issue. Yeah, mine's more about the case in general rather than um, the British involvement in this, because like the British involvement in this is uh, because he's here, basically, because he's in this country and he was in the Ecuadorian embassy and so on, but. What happened here was under Obama, they chose not to indict him. They realized that um, they were looking at the Espionage Act and re looking at it and thinking, actually, has, has a foreign national done any espionage here when someone has leaked things to them and it's in the public interest to, to share that? Um, th this, this guy's been a journalist. So Chelsea Manning, who was imprisoned for this under the Espionage Act, was the leaker of the information and uh, and Julian Assange was the journalist in this case. Now, it's funny that it, uh, just uh, shortly before um, uh, Khashoggi was murdered in the Saudi in, in Saudi Arabia, um, the USA were and the CIA were planning um, an assassination attempt on Julian Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy. And um, because the policy had changed under Trump, and interestingly enough, Trump, who like hated the press so much, actually um, seemed to not like the idea that this freedom of the press was um, was being used against the U.S. state. And Trump changed the policy and indicted uh, Julian Assange. And this is when things really, really kicked off because you know he really, as far as the Obama administration were concerned he ha they weren't really sure he had committed espionage he was a foreign national you know he can't really do that he had done journalism and then they did also say if we do this to julian assange do we have to do this to the new york post and that was their benchmark and they said well yes we do so therefore no we can't do this to julian assange we, we can't indict him but donald trump did now, what they're calling for in the USA is for Biden to go back to that original decision and say this man is, is not this because he's clearly in danger. Should we as a nation be thinking about sending someone to a, to a nation that was considering assassinating him? You know, they, this is a journalist. 
This is someone who told the truth. The people who did the crimes that he exposed don't seem, well, certainly very few of them seem to have suffered any justice whatsoever. Whereas this man who hasn't done anything wrong other than tell the truth, regardless, like everything else, everything else is is white noise. You know, the the other arguments around whether he did any other crimes. We're not talking about that. That's not what he's being prosecuted for. That is not what's going on. And I think people really need to keep their eyes on the ball on this one. This is attack. This is an attack on the freedom of the press. And this is someone saying, America saying, if you cross us, if you tell anyone about that, what's going to happen to you? Yes, thank you. Um, Stuart, um, what's your your view on this? This story's been going so long and uh, there's so much to it that it's very hard to keep track and it's... It feels like it's been going on as long as I've certainly been politically aware, perhaps. The bit that gets me is, has this come about because, you know, the the political value of trying to, to keep this man safe has come to an end, that some leverage has moved somewhere else? All, all the capital that we held by protecting this man's life has come to naught. And, you know... The, it certainly feels like there's there's other things going on in the background of this uh, beyond just, you know, a judicial system taking place. I mean, for centuries, um, political um, refugees have come to England where they found safety. I mean, Karl Marx being one of the most prominent ones. And uh, it's sad that we seem to now be deciding that we're going to cooperate in this guy's um, demise. I mean, do you think, uh, I mean, I would have said, if you wanted to teach people a lesson lesson about blowing the whistle, um, I think what's happened to him already Mm. is enough to deter anybody except with a strong stomach. It's a a difficult punishment that he's had already, certainly. Sam, I was amazed to find that he has a wife and children. I mean, uh, sort of. It shows how little I knew about it before I started um, reading up. Um, and his wife is an amazing person. Very often, these people seem to find amazing spouses to to fight their their corner. Um, sort of. Um, could you be married to him? No. <laughs> I mean, I probably could because he's obviously amazing. <laughs> I don't know. Be, being my husband is a full-time job, um, so I don't think I could have my husband um, in an embassy with a cat for a long time. No, he'd have to be here. <laughs> I think I'd find it a bit difficult to be married to Julian Assange, to tell you the truth. Um, uh, we we wish him well, and um, uh, I'm sure Jane would want you to um, write those letters and and campaign. This is really a, an issue that uh, sort of affects all of us, because at the end of the day, on a much smaller scale, there are times when we just have to tell people what's going on, and um, and we can't have a world where as soon as you do that, your life is ruined. Um, and now, thank you everybody for the big story. We move on. The 
this is another great story, people. There are just so many things um, on the, those lists. And, and so often we just do the sort of normal pack, but this is one that came down from lower down the list. And I was just delighted um, because it's the announcement of all those firms who have cheated their lowest paid workers. And uh, sort of, are we doing enough? To, to help our lower, lowest paid workers. I do feel, uh, listener, that we're going to get a fairly um, union, unanimous voice uh, from, from the, the team on this one, but sort of let's see what they have to say about it all. Stuart, um, you're the, the sort of one of our union wallers. Um, are we doing enough to help low paid workers? Uh, I'm sure we, we as the, the five of us, here are, but the, the government aren't, clearly not. I mean, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, uh, the best that they could come up with was listing them in a name and shame uh, kind of media extravaganza to, to convince these companies to pay the wages that they weren't paying. You know, there was uh, 203 companies found to have been paying uh, workers below minimum wage uh, were charging them for things like uniforms, you know, breaking the law time and time and time again. And the best that they could do was just a name and shame, slap on the wrist. Do they than... have the power, Stuart, to do something to these people when, I mean, to these firms? I mean, uh, can, can you actually um, find them or something like that? Or is it just that that's the only thing they can do now? Well, I'm, I'm unsure if we do have the power, but. I'm pretty sure the lawmakers in Westminster could could come up with something, couldn't they, if they really had the political will to do so? I mean, some of the things in that article, Stuart, just uh, outraged me. I mean, the one is, is that in the last six years, we've managed to bring six companies uh, to court for, for cheating their lowest paid workers, for failing to obey the law on the minimum wage. Um, and the other one is that the minimum wage is only about £8.91, is it? Um, the, I mean, how the hell? But the, the other thing was that when you did the sums and they sort of said, um, John Lewis cheated its workers, uh, cheated 34,000 workers out of so many million pounds. It wasn't John Lewis. It was it, but sort of, you know what I mean? The, 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 read the article, people. Um, it, it really is difficult reading. But it was very small amounts to it, wasn't it? Sort of it was. £65 per... But these are people to whom £65 makes or breaks their life. So, uh, yeah, certainly for minimum wage workers, for apprentices, uh, for those on zero-hour contracts, for those that work quite short hours part-time, you're basically on the poverty level, you know, uh, on those kinds of wages. And... Couldn't, you know, making a mistake, as some of these companies were putting it, you know, charging them for things like uniforms, that puts people into poverty. That is, and certainly under uh, COVID restrictions, th these are life and death situations in some cases, you know, where people have been so desperate for, for money that, uh, and there's such little help available to them that they've, they've, they've taken the baby in their arms and jumped off a tall building because they couldn't afford milk. These companies uh, are taking advantage of the workers when they, there's absolutely no reason to do so. They can afford these amounts of money. These aren't small companies. That these aren't little, you know, uh, startup businesses trying to get by or 
these are big national big names that you would recognize on your high street in you know supermarkets the big deals and they're just they're treating workers as if it's a how should I say they're doing them a favor by letting people come to work for them and it should be the other way around workers should know that you are selling your time to them these companies should value you beyond belief thank you Sam I mean Stuart's right the these are companies for whom 65 pounds is literally a tiny job in the ocean and yet so have you any idea, Sam, why they are actually treating their workers, their lowest paid workers, in such a manner? Why are they doing it? Well, because they can. I mean, a, a, a private company is legally obliged to make the most profit for its shareholders. Does not, not to make enough profit, to make the most profit that it can for its shareholders. Um, and if, if that isn't growing year on year, then, then people ask questions. Even if you don't have to lose money, you just have to make less profit. And don't forget, profit isn't wages. Profit is the money after you've paid your wages, after you've paid all your overheads. It's the extra money that goes to the shareholders who have done nothing, right? So um, the thing that the, the fact is, right it, it, over the last 10 years we've closed 300 courts in this country justice doesn't exist for poor people legal aid doesn't exist in the way that it used to so the the question is you know how are people supposed to defend themselves if you say you won't work for a trial shift then you don't get the job um if you say you won't pay for your your uniform then you know you're sacked and if you want to take up with the company you're going to have to pay money out of your pocket to take it to get some legal redress and obviously these people on the lowest possible wages this country um <laughs> or less than the lowest possible wages this country allows don't have the money to take things to court i mean again this today I bought a box of chocolates from Hotel Chocolat and sent it to somebody we love very dearly. 58 pounds for a box of chocolates. It was a very posh, it was a hamper mm. of chocolates, but it was 58 pounds. And then I sent two bunches of two those post-it flowers through the through when they post flowers through the letterbox to two um, people we love. £59. And money just pours through your fingers like water, particularly at Christmas. And these people are getting £8 an hour. And, and it just strikes me, does it not strike you, that there's an utter lack of realism in government about... I mean, these, these are people who happily put down sort of £35, £50 for a breakfast on expenses. And, and 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 sort of and yet we'll twist the faces um, when when um, they're asked to put the the um, living wage up to fifteen pounds. Um, oh, we can't do that; it's impossible. And they, no no concept of what what money is. I'll, 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 that was a statement, not a question, someone. So thank you very much. For, so you, you you set me off on one. Jane, what can what can we ordinary people 
uh, do about this? What, what's the solution to this huge injustice? It's not an easy one. On an individual level, there's not huge things we can do. Obviously, if you can afford to make choices about where you purchase things from, getting you know the reliable information on how those companies do treat their staff isn't an easy thing anyway. Um, but um, and there are various um, groups organised. Um, I think they're at Organised HQ on Twitter. They do some fantastic campaigns. They did um, with Webberspoons. They did the Make Minor Double Tim campaign to get double pay for the staff on bank holidays recently. And they've done some good stuff with John Lewis staff too and Amazon staff. Um, so there's things like that. But I, it really needs outside regulation. I think that all we can do is try and do our bit to campaign for that. But these big companies, the kind of money that they're looking at for profits, our voices are very little individually and um, it really needs some big group action to compel them to do the right thing. Um, I remember a few years ago hearing on the news, um, I don't know if it's Tesco's or Marks and Spencer's, they they'd had only made so many billion pounds of profits and they'd hoped they'd hoped to have made a few more billion pounds of profits. Now, for any of us, a few billion pounds of profits is absolutely crazy money. Everyone, anyone should be satisfied with that. But the way our markets are run now, the external forces say that actually they can go out of business. If they only make 50 billion and their shareholders wanted 60 billion, there'll be a run on the market and the whole company can collapse because of the greed of these external forces and the power they have. And then everyone will lose their jobs. So I don't even think it's as simple as, you know, the people at the top of the company being greedy. I'm sure there is a lot of that as well. But even if they weren't, the external forces upon them, which are completely unregulated, have just created a ridiculous situation that's not sustainable. Jane, that is such a good comment. Um, people on the, the, the chat line, I want you to note that that was a really... And, and, and it's right. We've managed to create a capitalist society, which is global, uh, where the forces are unregulated and where they just can destroy whole countries. Never mind. And, and, and sort of uh, they're just crushing people uh, be beneath their feet. Um, I, I sort of, you're right as well. A lot of these campaigns, like the McDonald's workers had a campaign, didn't they? They're very local. Maybe the answer is, is for caring people to sort of um, watch what's going on in their local such and such and, and, and get a local group about that. And then sort of perhaps if this is happening all over the country, um, maybe name and shame is a good idea in as much as we, we need to get the names of these firms and then we can withdraw our support. That'll, that'll get things changed. Thank you so much for that. Paul, the last word on this before we move on. I'm going to go slightly tangential here. Um, it's the it, um, it's the system that's a problem here, and I'm going to use an example. Um, when I was um, I was trying to find something out one time because um, I was finding out whether I, I, PE teachers can sometimes claim a little bit of tax back because of if they have to buy their own clothes, have to buy their own uniforms and things like that. There's a thing where you have to do it, but I looked into it. And it turned out that like it used to be that anyone could um, could get money back for this kind of thing. But then they changed their mind. Um, and it's now only people like solicitors who can who can get tax back so they can buy an expensive suit, wear that for court and they can get their tax back. Someone who is poorer than uh, like a barrister or something like that 
can't do that. And the reason they give is they might wear it outside of work. Um, what, well, a barrister won't, will they not? So a barrister gets in, changes into the suit when they're there. You know what I mean? It, it's this this really, really weird system where everything, and I know it's a weird example, but that's like the, the kind of weird system we have where everything is based around everyone at the top. And I think it may be Mark mentioned in the comments that, um, you know, this is state-sponsored as well. Like, you know, when people are paid below minimum wage, the state is expected to pick up the slack. If they paid too little to live on, the state picks up the slack. Well, therefore, it's a subsidy to that company that makes that huge profit. And it's a direct subsidy to them. You know, indirect, I suppose. It's an indirect subsidy. And people don't understand this. They think that people who are low-paid um, are somehow at fault when they receive um, when they receive, receive a form of social security. But the real people who are receiving the bailout are the people who should have been paying them properly anyway, because they're making enough. You know, it's like it's not it's not like we see uh, Tesco as they're going out of business every week, do we? You know, they're doing okay. So we need to change the system, and I would say we definitely need to unionize. The wins we've had Lewis on the on the show before, who ran the um, a lot of the McDonald's strikes and things and through the bakers union and uh yeah that is one way to do it but you've got to defend your reps i would say because they always come after the person who is brave enough to stand up um yes and um we might need to look into this in more depth paul in some future um sort of um we'll, we'll bring people on who can talk about this because um Unionization in some of these areas is 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 virtually impossible. I would have thought. Um, right, let's move on. Next question, um, uh, Sam. That party. Do you give a damn? <laughs> you know what? I haven't. This is one of those situations where, of obviously, I want this government to fail, right? Because I, I don't want them to be in power. But I also don't want people to suffer. And there are times like this where you, you, you know, actually, your heart really does break because you can feel how angry people are, and you know, because you lived through it, you know, at the time. Um, a lot of us know people who lost people. A lot of us lost people. Um, and to think that there were people who couldn't even hug each other at a funeral. Um, and at that time, the people who made the rules that kept us apart, that many of us followed um, to the best of our ability, uh, were just literally partying and literally laughing at us and laughing about it. Um, I know I've never seen any kind of anger like this from anyone to just switch on the radio and it, I think it was probably Jeremy Vine and just to hear a caller after caller after caller with heartbreaking stories talking about how angry they are. Um, so yes, people do care. Actually, I went past, I was driving down the uh, road today and I went over a bridge and across the bridge was graffitied. Uh, while people died, they partied, wake up, COVID-1984. And that's uh, literally the writing on the wall near Chesterley Street. Um, 
another thing I want to say, we're very good at feminism on this show. <laughs> like, um, Allegra Stratton resigned. Okay. Why does Ed Oldfield still have a job? Everyone knows who he is. He was on that video too. I think most people think everybody at that party should not have a job anymore. But we know who he is. We've got video evidence of him laughing along with Allegra Stratton on that video about in the fake press conference about the party. Why does he still have a job? Get him out. I found on um, Facebook a, a fair degree of support for Allegra Stratton. And certainly the feeling that she was just being picked on as a scapegoat because she was the woman and all the men were going scot-free. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm not saying that she's innocent and I'm not, I'm not saying that I've got an awful lot of sympathy for her because I'm sure she'll fall upwards. I'm sure she'll fall into a much more uh, well-paid job and she'll be fine. Um, but I do think she was scapegoated. Uh, I tell you what, if she's going to do that again, though, she's going to need some acting lessons because nobody was believing those tears. Thank you. Um, Paul, um, uh, sort of uh, what, what people are saying, uh, you read a, ran a fabulous thread on Facebook, which basically were invited people to say things that were worse than the party. Um, but um, it's sort of Labour list was saying that this has been a kind of uh, a watershed moment where actually it has done Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party, a huge amount of harm. All those other things that were listed on, on that um, thread, um, people sort of shrugged their shoulders and moved on. Do you think that this has hit home to people? And, and in a way, should it have done? Um, it, I think it, it, it's had some cut through. That's definitely the case. But... I'm not sure whether I like a politics where this has more cut through than the awful things that they do. Like, you know, we we know... I suppose it's just that people maybe didn't believe that they were that hypocritical. Like, it came as no surprise to most people I spoke to. No one... Like, everyone thought that they were doing this the entire time. What worries me is journalists sat on it for a year. You know, they could have released this at any time. And I'm wondering why, I think this is a bit of a dead cat as, again, because we've got, um, okay, this Johnson's done some awful things this week. So we've got the police and crime bill. We've got um, we've got the, the immigration and borders bill, was it called? We've got these awful things that they voted on. And yet we're all talking about this party. And I think eventually, like, you know, you'll, you'll find out that people might forget about this kind of thing. And then, of course, they released it at a time where Boris Johnson's wife was about to give birth, and then maybe there's a bit of sympathy there. And then they do the whole... So I actually... I want people not to think about this stupid party. We know they were doing these things. What they probably should have said, I wouldn't have even minded if they'd have said at the time, do you know what? These people work together all day, every day. That's not that bad. They're in the same room together all the time. If they'd have said to my colleagues, you can have a Christmas party together in your in your work building, we'll allow you to do that, then that I, honestly, these things, I think they had had a stressful time. Um, they were in contact with each other. They were probably at no greater risk of COVID than anyone else. I don't think it's as huge an issue 
there's all that. But what I do think is a huge issue is um, when, like, I'll, I'll read a few from the thread. I've had, like, Sarah Francis in um, trying to get away with starving vulnerable kids during the summer holidays. Pretty shitty behaviour. I've said banging untreated sewage isn't in, in, into the rivers and the sea. Uh, lots of things from Pretty Patel. Um, trying to sell, you know, trying to give our foreign aid bu- budget to Israel's military. That was quite bad. When Gavin Williamson did a treason, allegedly, and Theresa May sacked him. Theresa May, um, like her reaction to Grenfell, all the things that led up to that, like all that profiteering that led up to those people burning in the homes. These are the things that we should be furious about. The stuff they've done to disabled people, personal independence payments, assessments, all that kind of really dark, disgusting behaviour, the way they've treated their own people. Get angry about that. Don't get angry about Christmas parties that a few of their employees had. Because really... That's a side issue. Their moral fibre is judged on what they have actually done and what they vote for day in, day out. Judge them on that and be furious. Thank you, Paul. Um, Insightful. Uh, Jane, um, do you think this is the end of Boris? And uh, gosh, it's looking like it. It looks like Koonsberg's decided he's got to go. Um, and, And if so... Um, what do you think of the possibility of Pretty Patel taking over from him? That's horrendous. I don't know. I'd like to think this was the end of Boris, but for me, he overstepped the line before he even became prime minister. He'd done disgusting things that he should have not even had a political career for doing. And I can't believe the things he's done over the last two years. So I don't know what it takes for people to stop looking at him as some sort of blonde tussle-haired clown and it's okay he's doing his best apparently I I don't know but the thought of Pretty Patel I think she might even be worse than Boris she's the things she's done are absolutely disgusting and um that the recent nationality and borders bill absolutely disgusting the promo shots of her in a police uniform you know or is it the um bulletproof vest you know Oh, they just sicken me. Everything she stands for sickens me, to be honest. Um, me too. <laughs> and <laughs> finally, Stuart, um, round it up. Um, as this, I mean, it's a, an awful moment in British politics, but do you think it's a watershed moment? Sort of, or is it, as Jane suggested, just going to get worse? I, th- I think it's uh, perhaps exposed in the simplest terms, the kind of, deficit of integrity and honesty and poor judgment that this government has been delivering for the last decade. Yeah. Spot on. Um, thank you. I'm going to, um, this is Christmas, everybody. I'm going to take one last question. Uh, we have one minute left. I'm going to overrun Paul by a little while, but I'm not going to allow you to talk very long. And um, sort of, I'm just going to, um, uh, just um just ask you uh, to complete this question this this sentence for me the most important thing about christmas is and people on the chat line you know, have been watching you thank you for your comments today but sort of the most important thing about christmas is perhaps you can tell us and perhaps sam will be able to pick up some of your comments um in the second half of the show but let's just go around the most important thing about Christmas, the, the, the thing that makes Christmas Christmas. 
um, not what you want for Christmas, um, but the, 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 the essence of what makes Christmas. Paul. Kindness. Jane. Making time for the people you care about. Stuart. Knowing that your people are safe. God bless you. Sam. Doctor Who Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> New Year special, I'm being corrected. It's all one season, right? Um, yes. John, what's yours? Christ. <laughs> I think we've lost the Christ after Christmas. And I, I think... Uh, I think that that explains an awful lot about how the government's how the government's behaving. I think it explains an awful lot about the way we treat each other in politics and and, and on social media. Uh, I think it's a huge loss there. Um, right, everybody. Why we don't have more people watching this program astounds me. I have just been thrilled to listen to the team today are they not fantastic you know sit at home and give them a clap sort of a little clap and uh thank you team you've been unbelievable now what's going to happen as you know we're going to listen to um uh, a song and uh, then we're going to come back and i'm going to try and keep my mouth shut sam and um sam will be in charge and she'll be looking at yeah i noticed that jake ratcliffe asked a question um, that 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 was worth picking up. Did you notice that Sam about the um, uh, showing of the Labour candidate in a by-election? Twelve percent should he be stood down and replaced? Yeah, um, well done. That. And so that that something you may want to 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 address. And some of the other the things Sam's in charge of that bit. I don't know why I'm speaking. And um, uh, sort of uh, so if you have to go, have the most blessed Christmas, you and your family and those you love. Um, and uh, we will be back in the new year um, with all the wisdom of the dream team. Um, and uh, sort of thank you very much indeed. Um, if you can stay with us for the second half for the for the graveyard shift, um, you're very welcome. Uh, we rely on those uh, that a bit of a stream coming through um, to fuel that. God bless you. Um, uh, thank you team and uh, to some of you goodbye have a great Christmas um, see the rest of you in five minutes time bye bye hello it is me I am in charge <laughs> um, <laughs> there have been some lovely lovely comments about about what makes Christmas Christmas Lot, lots of uh, lots of Christian socialism in the comments. We really like to read that. Thank you for sharing uh, your thoughts. Uh, Barbara says, do unto others. Am I, you hearing a beep from me? Don't worry, I'll sort it. Uh, <laughs> Barbara says, do unto others as we would have do to us with, uh, with the words of Jesus, lovely. Um, Mark points out that it, it uh, <laughs> that, that has, um, it was the season of Yule and that there's a bit of controversy, but he's a Christian, he's with you and I'm with you too. Um, we do need a bit of light at this time of year. It's fine. It's fine that Jesus wasn't actually born in December. It's okay. Um, <laughs> um, he probably Jake didn't look been... like Thor either. <laughs> uh, Neil tries to make one of his, one of his typical a dad jokes well done neil uh neil also dropped a, a 
a link to ACAS. If any of you are experiencing an, an employer not paying you the minimum wage, Google ACAS, Google their advice. Uh, I'm going to have to hand it over to one of you guys to carry on because my speakers are running out of battery and I need to go and pick oh, no. them in. <laughs> oh no, carry on. Oh, I, maybe talk about the Lib Dem thing that John was talking about. Do you want me to go? I'll I'll do. It. I, I'll, I'll. It's like oh, it's like Socialist Night Live, which was back on Saturday as well. It was quite good actually with the RMT. Did anyone see it? Um, obviously Jane saw because she was on with me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she had to see it. It was uh, it was all it was really really good. Uh, we had um, Steve Headley on from the RMT and Cat Cray and uh, yeah, really really good. And it was nice to hear some positivity because don't think we hear enough about people winning so uh check that one out if you can um and i know like some people who are watching sometimes uh, want us to not focus so much on the labor party want to focus on the labor movement it definitely definitely did that um so yeah um so we are on jake who was saying that it was a certain percentage wasn't it let me see let me see gone quite far back here i can't find it oh it said uh that the tories are on 40 percent in is it shropshire i think it was shropshire and i think that the labor guy i know that i can remember that the labor guy was on 12. yeah labor on 12 lib dems on 39 he said and should labor stand down mm. my yes. my personal opinion on that one is like it would massively depend on a candidate i would never like look what the lib dems did during the coalition look what labor did during the iraq war you know <laughs> these things are not that simple obviously i'm a labor party supporter um, and a member and i want the labor party to be in power but i want them to be in power and actually changing things for the good and doing a socialist agenda so i don't know like i want to say the tories lose as well but got what yeah, I, I don't want a pyrrhic victory okay i mean i'm gonna, I'm gonna have a chunter here because um I mean, there's more and more talk about a progressive alliance, and and particularly as we realise that Labour just will not be able to win a, an election for the foreseeable future. Um, the the right are chucking out the left. Uh, they're losing all their activists. They're losing all their income. Um, and so sort of, I can't see that they've lost Scotland. I can't see Labour being in a position to form a government. Um, so that, do you not think, Paul, that that sort of um, there is a real case and, 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 and with with Wales, which which is a brilliant place, seeming to drive the way forward um, of some kind of a progressive alliance, some kind of electoral pact, which will get rid of this dreadful right wing Tory government and put um, in much like you get in places like Germany, a, a, a broad left wing um coalition into power that can at least change the direction of politics in the country depends what you mean by left wing doesn't it like i, I don't see the lib dems as being approaching left wing they are they are liberal in some of the views they vote for um they vote for some progressive values such as um you know equality on on uh, being like lgbt rights etc but 
you know, uh, where, like, where are they economically? You know, they're not left wing economically in the slightest. And the Labour Party aren't left in wing in the slightest in its current incarnation. They are not to the left of the centre. They are pro capitalism, pro neoliberalism, really. So, you know, is what's a progressive alliance mean? Are you talking about changing things? Are you talking about like the only thing to to do that? The only reason really to do that would be to get some sort of um, proportional representation in, I guess. But I don't. I I'm not really seeing any mainstream political arguments that match my economic view at all. At a time when we really, really, really need an alternative economic view. So a progressive alliance probably isn't what. It claims to be. Hmm. Yeah, it it is tricky, isn't it, to work out what's best, what's... But, you know, that's... I I just feel strongly that democracy, um, if... (laughs) What we've got is not a perfect system, but it is what we've got, and it is what people are used to in terms of democratic engagement. And removing options from people to vote for doesn't feel very democratic to me. Um, I would like Labour to stand everywhere that an election is being being fought, um, <laughs> and, and that because if you, there are places that maybe we don't stand because we feel like we're never going to win, and but that you never get the start then you never get people getting in the habit of voting labor and you know you're never definitely never going to win if you, if you don't stand um at this point one more person in the blue corner one more person in the red corner one more person in the yellow corner isn't going to change the country because the conservatives got such a huge majority in Westminster, um, but I think when you when you start talking about standing down candidates like that, um, it starts to sound a lot lot like sort of uh, win, winning winning at all costs, or you know I don't know. What do you think, Stuart? I have very strong feelings on the Dems. <laughs> uh, uh, obviously, in in that by election. At the start of the by-election, the the Lib Dem leaflets, uh, how should I say? I don't want to uh, call them liars, but they they overstated the 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 actual truth with regards to figures, and you know, I think they they play on that. They they use that as a electoral, uh, how should I say, ploy uh, nationally. We've seen it before in other areas, but I think. If you're talking about a progressive alliance, if if the Labour Party in its membership are the most progressive group of people in Britain right now, what we do by aligning with these people, we aren't creating a progressive alliance that way. What we're doing is diluting a progressive alliance. We are weakening what we're doing. Those The Lib Dems aren't coming to us to make uh, an approach to say, here's an you know, an electoral route to take. They are asking us to give up our electoral route. And that is one, you know, I think against everything the membership stands for. Uh, It's the same for the SNP. And historically, you know, I'm a disabled person. I I look at the Lib Dems and what I see are the people who got into bed 
with the devil. You know, the sort, you know, nice, nice uh, Nick Clegg, he'll, he'll do us right. And then he sold us down the river. People like me, students, uh, people on benefits, people who were on social security needed help. We were sold down the river for their electoral success. And that's uh, something that I'll never forgive. So, you know, if the the Labour Party I want want to get into bed with the Lib Dems, that's not something that I'd be comfortable with because that's that's selling me down the river from inside my own party. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, Jen, do you want? Do you have anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I did actually. I have a real beer in my bonnet about the number of people who don't vote in this country. And not that I'm angry with them, but I just feel, what's the percentage that are likely to vote at this, elect at this election we're talking about now? Maybe 60%? I've seen a lot lower percentages near me. So that's maybe 30, 40% of the constituents aren't going to vote. And those are the people that Labour needs to go and speak to them and find out what they want and try to represent them. And I know that's not easy. I know it's not. But my feeling is very strongly that a lot of those people are the very people that most need a Labour government and that Labour should be representing. And I really think it really bothers me that we have this narrow, you know, 50% of the population are voting and it's all about them. And we just dismiss the 50% or have many that aren't because they have they have needs as well, but they've lost hope in the system and it's really wrong that they're not represented and they should be. So I don't think Labour should stand down at that by-election. I think that Labour should get out and speak to the people who aren't going to vote and try to convince them to vote mm -hmm. for them, offer them something to make their lives better. Do you know those apps that you get as well, the, the ones that say, oh, you know, this will... This is like they've tried to do these progressive alliance apps in the past where it is, oh, in your ward, your most likely person is. And the Lib Dems made a load of them. And it was like telling people to vote Lib Dem in Labour wards, in like Labour strongholds. So they weren't really trying to do a progressive alliance. They were trying to use it as a tool to get more than like 10 seats or whatever they get now. Um, so, yeah, interesting as well what Carl was saying. Um, he says there's no electoral route. The maths say no one but the Tories can win without a coalition and the centre-right are not convincing. It's interesting because people see those voters, like Jane said, those the, well, the people who vote, they're the ones who matter. And the people who vote, the majority of them are voting Tory. So, therefore, the political centre ground is the Tory party when really a lot of people want an alternative. And, and the people who Jane's talking about who aren't voting, they actually do want an alternative and there isn't one there. And we saw that like at the referendum, there were people who would never voted before because they wanted change. They were trying to vote for a change and it was completely misread by the country um, as being something else. Or, you know, and, uh, and in 2017, we saw a lot of people vote. And you know, if Labour had just held their young people and got the new the, the younger people coming through in the same sort of percentages they'd be well in the lead by now comfortably in the lead but um, that is the not the direction at the moment i think it's hard as well when you're talking about uh voters uh that we'd look back over the last 20 30 years at the kind of patterns that we had and it's completely different now the the voter base is so volatile that, you know, it swings so wildly week to week, you know, the ups and downs. So uh, things happen so much quicker now that if you're kind of, you're doing the, the maths 
based on 2005 or worse going back to the mid 90s and you're still using those kind of systems it's completely out of date and we, we need to find ways to to assess you know when things will be uh, useful when, when we when we deploy information when we how we campaign what we do that needs to be timed better to this more you know volatile politics that we have I think that's a really good point. We we can't assume like post Brexit politics is different. Post the 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 uh, two thousand fifteen, I think people started to engage with politics in a really different way, um, and maybe not a better way. Um, but people's opinions change so quickly now. Um, you know, really extreme swings from one way to another. So I don't think. I don't think anybody anywhere should ever be using the word safe seat in a in a in a, con- a confident way. I don't think there's anything like a safe seat anymore. Um and I think you're right we've got to we've got to see what actually happens rather than polls which may be mis- misguided. Um just to um just to say the turnout for the old Bexley and Sig Cup by election was 34%. So <laughs> I just looked that up just then. By-elections always have poor turnout. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that that's the type of engagement we're looking at. It's such a shame, isn't it, um, that people aren't going um, to actually vote. Um, but then that's Chris, a whole Chris has asked progress. what a progressive alliance is. Maybe we're talking uh, where, where we need to... Does anybody to, want to... I don't believe progressive alliances exist, so if anybody wants to take that one. This sounds like a Paul thing. Paul, Paul is very yeah. skilled at breaking a progressive, down. A progressive alliance is supposed to be when um, when parties that are of the general left get together and basically stand candidates down. So if Labour and the Lib Dems vote were adding up to, like, 54% you go well actually all the Lib Dems will step down because Labour's higher that one and then they would say to their voters vote for the Labour Party because they're they're our best chance and vice versa but like whether what we're arguing is that actually that doesn't really exist because there's not really much progressive politics at the moment so yeah it's it's meant to be it's basically a big anti-Tory thing, isn't it? Because people want rid of the Tories because the Tories, if they get 40% of the vote they're in, in this country, they will have a big majority with 40% of the the vote in the UK. Um, and I know we've got like international listeners as well. So, um, so more than half of the population can be very unhappy with the ruling party and that ruling party could have the most comfortable of comfortable majorities. So, so the idea of a progressive alliance would be to try to stop that by only having one anti-Tory party. I think the word progressive has been devalued hugely. <laughs> sort of, um, I mean, and 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 the 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 left is regarded as retrogressive, isn't it? Now that we we want to go back to the 19th century and progressive people, progressive politicians, they want to power on into this new capitalist future. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just against progressive politicians altogether at the moment. 
Mm. Uh, Kath and Tim point out that uh, in Ferry Hill, a, a parish by election got 17% turnout, um, and Acliff. Uh, we jump that 13 13 percent on the apathy. Once you get to smaller, once so obviously parliamentary, uh, unitary or borough council, and then parish council, when it the weirdly, the more local it gets, the more disengaged people are, which is such a shame because actually, the more local a councillor is, the more they've got less power to change the law, but they do have the power to do the things that most people care about, like sort out the dog poo <laughs> and the fly tippering and the littering. Um, and active councillors definitely do make an impact on those things because they're the ones that follow the officers around and report things relentlessly and get things sorted. Um, so, yes. Make sure you, you vote for your local councillor. That's all I'm did saying. You, Everyone's going to start saying, somewhere. Um, did you say Carl saying progressive has mostly been claimed by the centrists? And I think like you can see that where Labour Party had a faction. Before like factions became a negative thing, the centrists have had a faction called Progress, which was, mm. interestingly enough, more conservative than the rest of the Labour Party. So they, But they called themselves Progress because it sounds good. So, yeah. Um, so progressive can be associated with that as well. Um, that was like the, the whole idea behind when when the Labour Party used purple. That's the colours of progress, and it's a little it's a little wink. Like here you go, uh, we are of that element of the party. So yeah, that's right. Progress. It's time for the Neil Terry comedy show. I've got two Neil Terry jokes. Brace yourself. Okay. <laughs> When uh, when John was talking about buying a box of chocolates for fifty odd pound from Hotel Chocolat, Neil said, "I would want a room in Hotel Chocolat for that price," which is true. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly have to do better than that to get me laughing. Carry on. Is, is, is the second run any better? There yet? Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> the second one is when we were talking about profits and shareholders and companies not paying their staff properly he said hmrc equals helping millionaires ruin countries <laughs> well, that that's is good, good. <laughs> <laughs> i hope you appreciate my delivery there neil uh there have been a few a couple of comments for for you john uh tim dredge started off early doors by saying big, big thanks to John D. Clare for his service on Great Acliffe Town Council. I understand he's very recently stepped down, a huge advocate for the town, a great servant. Oh. And you got, a, you got a note from Chris Hood as well. Chris says, I, I read before that John has stepped down at Great Acliffe Town Council. I'd like to tip my hat to his service. Well done, John. And thank you for your service. Ah, how long have you been a local councillor, John? I became a Great Acre Town Councillor in 1995, so that's wow. uh, more than 25 years. Um, thank you to those people. Um, for health reasons, um, we've decided that uh, we need to um, move Barbara's health, uh, my wife's health. We need to move closer to family. And uh, so I've stepped down from the town council. We've, the house is up for sale and, and, and we're off to Sheffield. Oh. Ooh. 
So um, uh, th- th- that'll be um, a big change in our lives, but necessary. And um, uh, I would have gone on at Great Acliffe Town Council for a bit longer um, until we actually move. But the guy, another chap in my ward, the councillor sadly died. So there was going to be a by-election. And a by-election costs the town council £11,000. And, and, you know, when you're sort of, that, that's a big chunk out of a, a parish council's budget. And, and so to save the um, electors having two by-elections one month after the other, and uh, to save them having to spend £22,000, I, 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 I said I would retire early and go. And um, so that's me. Um, uh, and, and every I went to the, I went to a meeting and asked the public question. And everybody was calling me councillor. I've been a councillor for so long that, that it became part of my being, Chris Hood. And 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 sort of it's a bit of a weird world, but uh, onward and upwards into a, a new chapter of life. Thank you for your kind words. And um, uh, other people's jobs now. Uh, yours, Chris, to tell you the truth. Um, Sam, Stuart, uh, sort of got to press on now and uh, make it um, make it a good one. And just while, before I finish, Sam, the public question I raised as a member of the public was to do with climate change, and that must that message must not be lost. We have to keep banging that drum. It overwhelms any other question that we've got because there's no point in uh, sort of campaigning uh, about stop and search in a world which is where society has collapsed because of the pressures. Uh, it couldn't cope with the pressures of climate change and we need to mitigate it and we need to adapt to the changes that's going to happen as well. So please, Sam, please, Stuart, make sure that you drive through on that issue. Chris Hood, it's down to you. You are the people who picked up the cloak and now you must run with, run with those issues. But thanks for saying nice things about me. It's been an absolute blast. It's the greatest thing in the world to be. It's the greatest honour. It trumps being an MBE or a knighthood or anything else when your local people say, you are the people we want to represent us in all these uh, areas. We want you to be our representative. It's not a thing for pride. It's a thing for absolute terror because it's your job to do that job properly. Mm. And um, uh, sort of, um, uh, sort of yeah, hung up me, um, hung up me councillorship. Thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. Durham County Council are currently working out um, whether we are going to call an ecological emergency on top of the climate emergency that we called when you were in office um, a couple of years ago, um, part of that work. So that's quite good. I mean, spoiler alert it looks like yes um <laughs> so um yeah you were the climate champion for durham county council did we replace know. you or not i don't um i don't think you've got a formal replacement but mark wilkes has taken over oh. mark wilkes stepped directly into my shoes um uh but they are just sort of part of his shoes um, as you know, Mark Wilkes is the Environment uh, Cabinet Minister, so he's got sort of um, uh, all those things such as um, salting the roads in winter and um, the, cutting the grass and, and bin collections. Got, bins. That's all under his, and, and climate change 
comes under that. I must say this about Mark Wilkes, even though he's a, um, a Lib Dem, he is mightily committed to climate change and um, sort of, um, you must do a Keir Starmer and support him on that, Sam. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> threatened to withhold your vote unless he does something. Um, uh, so uh, he's trying to he's trying to pick up the pace and, and all good, well done to him on that as well. Awesome. Uh, do I have any other comments? Uh, oh, well, when we're talking about um, bad bosses and people not getting paid properly, Neil did make the good point that, you know, it could very much get worse because you don't have access to, if you don't have access to justice through the legal route, what else might you do? Well, you, you might protest, um, but under the policing bill, that could land you in prison for up to 10 years. Um, and if you don't have ID, you, they're making it so you won't be able to vote the government out. So uh, these are the things that we should all very much be concerned about. Um, and Can Laura, you say this, Sam? ID is a big issue. ID yeah. is a big issue because not everybody can afford a passport. And many mm -hmm. people don't have a passport and many people don't have a driving licence. And uh, sort of, and I found out today that if you go on and try and do anything on uh, to, on the HMRC website, they sort of say we need we need proof of your um, uh, proof of your identity before we can proceed. And the options of proving your identity, one of them is a Northern Ireland driving license. The other one is uh, evidence against uh, about your. Um, uh, your um, account and the question is how much did you pay last year and if you paid zero tax last year it won't accept the no we need a sum how much did you pay last year zero pounds no 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 you can with that we don't accept that you know not, not anything or a passport and uh, sort of at the end of the day um, there's so many people who are not going to be able to pick up on their civil rights simply because they cannot prove their identity. It's a it's um, a big issue. It is a big issue. I said I wasn't uh, going to talk. I've talked all the time. I'm going to leave. Give the last word of the show to Laura who talked to us via Twitch. Uh, she also got told off by the Twitch robot for putting too many heart emojis on early on in the show. That made me laugh. Um, but when we were talking about that party and whether it was whether the other things that, that have been going on are dead cats or not, um, a dead cat is something you do to distract people from the terrible political truth, uh, just in case anybody out there is, is confused about that. Um, she said, yes, it may be a dead cat, but the fact is that most people are far too focused on surviving and keeping afloat over Tory austerity that they feel hurt by the double standard when people who haven't been able to say goodbye to dying relatives while they party. No question this cuts through. Yes, they've done worse, but let's hang on to anything that people are upset about. Um, and I think it's just a really strong, not not just people are upset about it, so let's make, make the most of it. I didn't say that. That's not what I'm saying. But people need to know that we're listening to them and what matters to them matters to us. Um, so that's where I am um, on that. Anyway, 
<laughs> we are going to wind up so that our our wonderful panel members and you, dear listener, can get some sleep because it is late. Um, <laughs> remember, we are going to be taking a holiday for Christmas. This is the last one for Christmas, isn't it? Yes. We're going to take a couple of weeks off Christmas, um, but don't worry, because there is a plethora of content that you can catch up on, on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook. Just search Socialist Think Tank. And if you want to, you can become a member. It is free and we won't charge you anything unless you don't want us to. But if you do want us to... Thank you, because it does cost money to do some things, uh, even though none of us get paid here. That's uh, still not happening. One day I might get a free hoodie. Uh, keep dropping hints, um, but nobody's. Um, have to order some yet. first. Yeah, <laughs> we're out. <laughs> and we're also on your favorite podcast app, whatever podcast app you use, whether it's Overcast, uh, Spotify. Uh, yeah, the others just search socialist think tank, and there's loads of stuff on there. Really, Paul and Laura and the other people who do socialist think tank have been churning out amazing content all year. Um, so thank you very much for that. Is there anything you'd like to announce, Paul? Anything else coming up? Uh, no. What look out for some surprises though, because I'm sure we'll have a few, and. Uh... <laughs> And there was a question in there about whether John is remaining as part of this show. I think you can. I think you can uh, alleviate some panic there, can't you, John? Um, sort of. I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more. I get worried, people, because these people are so young and so in touch and so knowledgeable, and I'm an old person, and I worry terribly about being yesterday's man. And really, and, and the more I drop out of things, the less um, current I become. So I worry about this. But um, at the moment, it's such just a privilege to sit here and ask these people questions. And then they tell me stuff. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and I, so I just love doing this show and um, sort of being the foil that allows them to share their knowledge with you, listener, and and as long as that's seen to be a, a positive, um, oh, I'd love to continue it. And and Paul is on a, 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 an order that when I become a silly old man, he just <laughs> needs to, he just needs to say, and I'll go gracefully. God bless you. Yeah, but we'll see you after see you after the new year. And uh, for the moment, um, uh, what a joy it is to, to just sit here in this chair and listen to these people talking. God bless them. Okay, that's us. Good night. Keep the red flag flying here.